0: This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, it's Addictive Eaters Anonymous On Air.
1: Hi, welcome to Addictive Eaters Anonymous on Air, here on Plains FM. My name's Louise and I'm an Addictive Eater and the host of this show. This is an opportunity to share with you about how Addictive Eaters Anonymous works and to talk with an Addictive Eater who will share their experience of recovery from Addictive Eating. Well, how does AEA work? Sobriety in AEA is freedom from Addictive Eating and or mind-altering substances. AEA members achieve sobriety by sharing their experience, strength and hope with each other, and living the 12-step program of recovery as a way of life. By regular attendance at meetings, getting a sponsor, working the steps, keeping in contact with sober members, and carrying the message of recovery. Members are freed from addictive eating and the obsession with food. At the heart of the AEA program is the spiritual concept of surrender. Today we've got Tony in the studio. He's a member of Addictive Eaters Anonymous. Tony, lovely to have you here. When I think about your sharing, something that pops into my mind is I've heard you say quite often that you're born an Addictive Eater. I just wonder if you can elaborate on what it means to you to be born an Addictive Eater.
0: Yeah, well, thanks, Louise. Um, I, I guess I basically mean that my earliest memories are of eating addictively. Yeah, you know, from a very early age, preschool, I can remember being obsessed with food in a way that a lot of other kids, you know, not my friends, weren't, and being driven to eat. Even in areas where uh, it was embarrassing to do so, and I remember being at a, at a kid's birthday party, Slapping the hand of someone reaching for the last cake on a plate because I had my you know, I had my eye fixated on it while I was still eating something else, and being told off and you know feeling shame, but that memory didn't stop me doing that again. So my first week at school, I um, I basically bunked school because my the rest of my family were going on a picnic and all I could think about was the food they'd be having on that picnic. So so I feigned sickness and got sent home just in time to make the picnic. So. All those memories really were geared around um, doing anything to get to get the food, and and I guess at the time I wouldn't have been aware of this, but it, because it made me feel better, and that's um, that that's that's the case right throughout my life until I came to addictive eaters anonymous.
1: Wanting to feel better, so you were aware of something wrong, a, a lack somehow. I
0: guess I always felt different in the sense that I was full of fear and anxiety and self-consciousness. Always, I don't know, I I guess I explain it like there was always a sense of impending doom. No matter if things were going well and my upbringing wasn't Dickensian and I think there were good things at school and played a lot of sport, but I always felt like I was on the edge mentally and and I guess emotionally sort of growing up. Uh, But... um, food took the edge off that, it, it, it made me feel better, so I, I, I kind of lit up around food and then later on, as I got a bit older, discovered alcohol and, you know, I'm an alcoholic as well and, and so I had, I had those substances that were kind of, almost seemed to be lifting me out of
1: myself. So, Tony, were you overweight through school? Did this eating, was it obvious to others that you were overeating?
0: No, it's interesting that actually, because in my, in my mind I was i was I was a big lad for my age, in terms of height, quite solid, but my nickname as a kid was ten ton tony and I think that was probably more for the alliteration than the actual size because <laughs> when I look back at photos uh, the um, you know, i i wasn 't overtly overweight, uh, but in my mind, I was then later on, as I got older as I got into my teens and started drinking you know alcoholically uh, right from the start. Um, I lost the motivation to play sport, which was probably keeping my weight down. I mean, I, I, I ate like a man from boyhood as much as my father did who had a manual job. But And so the the, the constant sport and, and, and exercise probably kept that at bay until I started drinking and then and then you know, my weight was just out of control and I, I, I did live up to the 10-ton Tony tag.
1: <laughs> did it affect your relationship with others, Tony? Did, did you... Like, you talked a, a, a little bit there about feeling different and on the edge did that display itself in relationships with others
0: I kept a mask on I think you know like in those days uh, back in the 60s and early 70s when I was a kid no one admitted to any sign of weakness particularly you know kind of young boys so I had the mask on but behind that it was was pretty flimsy yeah uh, I kind of remember always being driven by a kind of sense of inferiority that I had to kind of prove myself and you know, like like I say, food and other substances just took the edge off that. It made me feel normal. So I thought I'd found the solution in in food. It was a long time before I realised it was the it was a problem, but the problem went deeper than that. It was the the defects in me, the, the fear, the anxiety, the loneliness, the sort of just the total self obsession. To me that's the disease of addiction.
1: But at the time you didn't particularly Put your behaviours and feelings together with the fact that you were eating or drinking or, or doing these other things.
0: Not at the time. I, I probably felt that if I uh, had been born into a, you know, another family or you know, another time, or if I wasn't working class, and you know, I, I had a, a chip on one shoulder and a rainforest on the other, basically, <laughs> you know, kind of. So uh, I was very driven by that sort of external narrative which which I see now as just, just noise. The, I, what, what I had was a spiritual melody, but I wouldn't have been able to identify that at the time and if anyone had suggested to me that I needed a spiritual solution I would have run a mile in the opposite direction.
1: So was there times Tony that you decided to try and do something about your eating for instance dieting or, or taking sort of measures to eat less?
0: My, my first diet was, uh, it was probably about 16 and I was trying to get fit for football, my mother gave me a calorie counting book with a, um, I think it was 1100 calories a day, 1200 calories a day and and I I looked up the calorie counter and I was going out to to the pub that night unbeknown to her. A 12 ounce beer was 400 calories so I thought I'll have three 12 ounce beers and that'll be my calorie intake for the day. But I'm an alcoholic, I can't stop at three. And once I and I was never an alcoholic who didn't eat. The two things went hand in hand. So I just blew it on the first day. I never never tried after that. Until about four years later when I, I, I left school and went to tertiary study for a year, living away from home with a bursary. Uh, so I had my own money for the first time. I just ate and drank my way to oblivion, basically. I put on 25 to 30 kg that year and I was supposed to be an active sportsman. Full of loathing, you know, self-loathing, which was a, you know, a big thing. Girls and I was I was 19 years old and 19 stone, um, and had high blood pressure. So, I went to a weight loss organisation, lost a bit of weight. Thought I'd thought I'd lick the problem because in my mind the problem was the weight. I don't believe that today. And so that set off a pattern of being in and out of weight loss organisations until I I discovered a, a meeting of a, a 12-step food fellowship where. Some members of Addictive Eaters Anonymous today were attending. That was probably 34 years ago.
1: So that was a bit of an inadvertent coming along to that or or meeting up with that 12 step fellowship. So you weren't, you hadn't finished eating, you weren't there because you were desperate and looking for a solution. It, It was a while after that that you actually came in properly.
0: Yeah, I mean, the first time I went, I, I kidded myself. I was there for professional reasons, and I was there to research and, and, and publicise this, this organisation. And I, But I, I but I heard my story there the very first night. You know, I heard people talking about having a solution from eating addictively, and, and I was full of kind of shame and guilt and anger about the way I was eating. And But I wasn't desperate enough to, to give up, and I went on for... I was, it was suggested to me that if I wanted to get well, I'd have to give up drinking, drugging, eating, and I was in my mid twenties. I couldn't imagine the rest of my life without those things. I mean, I thought that those were the things that kept me going. A few years later, I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous, but it took me thirteen years there, without drinking, through the grace of God, to really get, you know, get to my knees with the food and and to you know. I'd, so up until that point I, I guess I just, just really didn't want to give up uh, eating and it had to get bad enough and, and you know, I had to get to a point where I was humiliated through my eating to accept that I was as powerless over food as I, you know, as I was over alcohol. And, but I never forgot that first meeting. You know, right? It ruined my eating basically because I knew, there was a, I knew I was the same as these addictive eaters and I knew there was a solution. But I, I spurned the solution, it was thanks but no thanks, you know, for a long time. And and that's my experience and, I, and I've seen it with other people, it just has to get bad enough before, we, before we're before we willing to seek help.
1: And so you, when you walked back through the door that second time, were you beaten? Was the problem removed quite quickly or was there a bit more eating needed to be done or how did that look?
0: Well, firstly, it wasn't the second time. I'd come in and out. The the doors were a wee bit like the the batwing doors in a Western saloon. (laughs) By that time, I knew that that something had changed. When I had that humiliating experience overseas, I just had this sense that I had to get back to groups where the Addictive Eaters Anonymous members were at, and I had to get fair dinkum about sobriety, because at that stage I had kind of half-baked sobriety. I was free of alcohol and drugs, but... I wasn't experiencing the freedoms that people in AA talked about. Um so I knew that something had changed. It took me so so when I came in Fear Dinkum if you like, it took me a little while, a few a few weeks, maybe 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 a month or so to actually ask for help. And for me that was the that was the clincher. I would, I, I vowed that I was never going to get a sponsor in AEA. I was never going to go on a food plan. I wasn't going to do all these things that I thought were controls. But I found myself, and I, this is where I believe it was, it was a gift from a power greater than me, it came, you know, it came from within. It was, I found myself going up and asking this old, older member who had been at the very first meeting I'd been at all those years before, would she help me? There weren't uh, that many men around at that stage, so I, had, I knew I had to go to somebody with, with great experience, and I, and I trusted this person because I'd met her all those years before, and I'd seen her getting better and better in AA. And it was like I, I was a yes butter. You know, I was someone that was basically. I used to claim it was my my professional training to uh, question things, but really it was just the bloody mindedness of me, you know, kind of. And uh, and I was always someone that would argue the point. But I found myself on this phone call to to this member who became my sponsor, and there were all these things suggested that I needed to do around food, around meetings, around working the 12 steps. And I found myself just going, yep, yep, that, that, that'll be fine. And, and I couldn't believe it. It was like a out-of-body experience. Did I really say that? So there was a willingness there before I even knew it. And then I heard from members that the willingness came from doing. So I just got on one day at a time and started doing what they were doing. And all those things I feared as restrictions and, you know, They've turned out to be freedoms, practising those. But I also knew that there was more to this deal than just the food, and that the answer wasn't in this magic bullet food plan. There wasn't a magic bullet food plan. uh, I, I, I had to get down to cause and effect through working the 12 steps.
1: So you'd already worked the 12 steps in AA. Was there more to be gained from working the steps again?
0: Well... When I say work the twelve steps in AA I was effectively working the first half of the first step. You know, I was admitting I was powerless over alcohol and I wasn't drinking probably a little bit of the twelfth step in terms of I, I was willing to help others by taking the meetings. I, I hadn't in all reality done any work on the steps from step from doing the step four and five when I left a treatment centre. So it was over thirteen years between that point and then going to my, asking my, you know, my sponsor for help and starting starting work at step one again. So, yeah, there was a lot more to be gained. And, and what convinced me that I was still in active addiction in all those years in the other fellowship was that when I came to running a step four, doing a, a, what we call a searching and fearless moral inventory, there was a lot of historical stuff there that I'd ignored in that treatment centre, but there was also a lot of stuff that I, wrongs I'd done while I was in the rooms of that other 12-step fellowship and looking at that on paper, I was absolutely convinced that I wasn't sober in what, you know, the strictest sense of the word. So, so yeah, there was a lot more to be gained and a and, you know, completely different mindset because I was able to see it from the perspective of the people I'd, I'd harmed mm-hmm. and was able to go out and make amends for that. And that's an ongoing thing, just... A bit like in the layers of an onion. It's always something to peel, peel back, and and, and have a look at. But it's great. It's it's mm. it's, it's it's an you know, it's an adventure.
1: It is. That's my experience. Also, of reading the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, is that the, you know which we use in our fellowship, is that it doesn't matter where I'm at in my sobriety. There's somehow there's always a a depth to that book there's always something in there that can mean different things at different times it it, it is a endless adventure and I guess that brings me to you you're not eating you're not drinking you're not taking substances you're attributing it to your higher power to that surrender to asking for help to the actions that you've taken can you tell me a bit more about your higher power? Did you have a notion of a higher power before you came in?
0: Before I, you know, like a lot of people of my generation, I did have exposure to, to you know, kind of like Sunday school and things like that growing up. But I'd rejected that. And, you know, like intellectually I'd regarded myself, when I came into a 12th step Fellowship all those years ago, as a atheist slash agnostic. I was, I was atheist most of the time, but if the, the plane plummeted 10,000 metres, I was agnostic. You know, I might call out to God, but... <laughs> But up to that point, no. And and so what convinced me was the collective. There was a collective power in those meetings, of of addicts, you know, coming together and, and helping each other that enabled enabled them to stay sober. So I, I latched onto that pretty pretty early on in, in, in AA. So by the time I came to Addictive Eaters Anonymous, the meetings I know now, I, I did believe in a power greater than me. I you know I had what I would have called a higher power, but you know the, the the channel to that higher power was 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 blocked solid with food you know when you when you're eating kind of the way i was pretty hard to um, to keep that channel open so yeah so yes i did and uh and that's just deepened and gone on it's, and it's evolved and, and the great thing is uh, like i had a mind that was slammed shut to any spiritual theory which is a line in the big book it's not something original that i've just thought up but it's uh and now I, I really like it, the fact that I'm much more open-minded about you know, spirituality, you know, mine and other people's. It's it's a much much better way to live because, yeah, you know, when I when I was eating, I was just so angry and so judgmental of others, and and and, and I see it in, in the longer-term members of AEA. They just keep getting better and better spiritually, and and you know, their minds, you know, just remain open. And you know that's the way i not you know I want to live today.
1: And I guess one of the things you know that always strikes me about you is your willingness to help others and it, to go that extra mile and to share your experience. What would you say if there was a, a man or, or a person listening now who relates to your story, what should they do?
0: I'd suggest contacting uh, Addictive Eaters Anonymous uh, pronto and not leaving it as long as me. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, and 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 keeping that open mind because I had a you know I, I had a closed mind, and I'm I'm ashamed to say that for a long time we live in denial when we're in active addiction, and so when I'm sort of was scoffing all that food, I, I would hear things like I, I remember some of my you know friends had books, fat is a feminist issue, and I thought yes, this is a woman's problem. You know, I don't believe that today. So so let go. I, I'd I'd suggest letting go of that old thinking getting, getting a hold of Addictive Eaters Anonymous, coming with an open mind, coming to, to some meetings, you know, hearing the experience, uh, reading, reading stories on our, on our website, listening to podcasts to see whether you identify with both the problem, the addictive eating, but also the, the hope that's, that's in recovery because the great thing about coming to meetings for as long as we have is seeing people get well, seeing their lives just blossom and grow.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tony. It's been fantastic listening to your story and and hearing about your ongoing recovery and I'm very grateful for you being here today. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks very much, Louise, for the opportunity to come in and talk to you today about Addictive Eaters Anonymous. Thank you.
1: If you have heard anything today which you've related to or would like to know more about us, please go to our website www.aeanz.org. There are three meetings a week in Christchurch, as well as a monthly worldwide meeting on Zoom. A podcast of our show will be available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as the Plains FM website, plainsfm.org.nz. Our show goes out on the fourth Monday of each month at midday. Thank you for listening. And I trust you go well. Until we catch up next month on Addictivitis Anonymous on air, Plains FM 96.9.